Welcome to Behind the Bookshelves. My name is Richard Davis, and this Abe Books podcast is dedicated to telling the stories behind books and the people who love them. Today's show is all about walking, or rather, writers who walked. Sounds mundane, but I don't mean walking to the shops for a pint of milk. I don't even mean a good long stroll along the seafront on a sunny Sunday afternoon. I mean writers who walked a seriously long way and then wrote about it. When Patrick Lee Fermer was 18 years old, he decided to walk across Europe. He took a ferry from England to the Hook of Holland and started walking towards Constantinople, which is now known as Istanbul. He had a backpack, a couple of books, a few things, and not much else aside his inquiring mind. It was also 1933, and his journey included walking across Nazi Germany, which was now firmly under the control of Adolf Hitler. Patrick Lee Fermer's journey blows my mind. He left on the 8th of December 1933, and arrived in Istanbul on the 1st of January 1935. After sleeping in barns, hedgerows, and in rooms offered by people he'd just met. You can read about his epic journey in three books, A Time of Gifts, Between the Woods and the Water, and The Broken Road. He hadn't fitted in at various schools, and he certainly wasn't going to fit in at some crummy job. So he decided to walk, and walk, and walk, and see the world, and write about it. The Hook of Holland to Istanbul is 1,580 miles, if we drive directly today. Firma didn't go by the most direct route, because he kept getting distracted by the idea of visiting a beautiful town that was a few miles to the left or to the right. Firma could feel that war was coming, and things were going to change. His description of his passage through Germany is particularly eye-opening. One minute, warmly welcomed the next glared at as if he was a threat. Of course he had many adventures. In Munich he lost his backpack, his passport and his diary after he got drunk. He met numerous interesting people and enjoyed a few instances of pure luxury including some much valued hot baths when wealthy benefactors took him in. He also exploited an ancient law where travelling students could inform the local mayor that they were passing through town, and the mayor would be obliged to sort out a night's free accommodation for them. I'll say it again, 1,590 miles. My teenage children complain if we walk for one mile. Firma didn't stop travelling when he got to Turkey. He carried on to Greece, where he fell in love with a beautiful Romanian princess. During World War II, he worked as an undercover special operations fighter in Crete, and he walked all over that island too. In 1944, in Crete, he famously helped to kidnap a German general, which is described in his book, Abducting a General. After that, Firma became one of the world's great travel writers. But it all started with that walk across Europe, as an 18-year-old who wouldn't listen to authority. If I could invite anyone from history to dinner, Firma would be on my list. For Firma, 
Walking was all about encountering new people and different cultures. For some writers, walking is all about understanding nature and being close to it. Henry David Thoreau wrote an essay called Walking, where he explored the relationship between man and nature. He was looking for some kind of balance between tamed nature of farms and cultivated land and the uncontrolled nature of forests filled with freedom, wilderness and bears. He argued that we should be outside surrounded by nature because we're part of nature and it has influenced every inch of our development. He saw walking in nature as a spiritual experience, time away from the hustle and bustle of everyday life. And this was in 1851. I wonder just how much bustle and hustle there was in Massachusetts at this time. He argued that if you didn't walk through nature, then you'd never have the opportunity to reflect how beautiful it is. Thoreau also said that walking was the opportunity to think deeply. I couldn't agree more. The rhythmic process of putting one foot in front of another for mile after mile puts great focus on thinking through bigger problems. Many authors have resorted to walking as a source of inspiration and a way of avoiding writer's block. In a 1994 interview, Alice Munro, the Canadian short story writer and Nobel Prize winner, explained how walking was part of her daily routine. She said, I write every morning, seven days a week. I write starting about eight o'clock and finish around 11. I am so compulsive that I have a quota of pages. I am also compulsive about how much I walk every day. Three miles a day. So if I know I'm going to miss a day, I have to make it up. I watched my father go through this same thing. You protect yourself by thinking if you have all of these rituals and routines, then nothing can get by you. Charles Dickens was the same. His eldest son, who was also called Charles Dickens, which made it tough for the postman, described his dad's daily routine in this way. He rose at seven, had breakfast at eight, and was in his study by nine. He stayed there until two, taking a brief break for lunch with his family, during which he often seemed to be in a trance, eating mechanically and barely speaking a word before hurrying back to his desk. Promptly at two, Dickens left his desk for a vigorous three-hour walk through the countryside or the streets of London, continuing to think of his story and, as he described it, searching for some pictures I wanted to build upon. Various studies have shown that walking leads to creative thinking and that walking through green spaces calms our state of mind as opposed to urban walking which can be stressful when you have to dodge skateboarders, traffic and other people. Perhaps the most famous walker-writer was William Wordsworth who loved wandering lonely as a cloud through his beloved Lake District. His friend, the essayist Thomas de Quincey, estimated that Wordsworth must have walked around 180,000 miles in his lifetime. Wordsworth lived until he was 80, in an era when life expectancy was struggling to exceed 40. There are so many good walking books that we are spoiled for choice. In the same era and mould of Patrick Lee Fermer is Laurie Lee, the author of Cider with Rosie, a book taught in many British schools. While Cider with Rosie concerns staying in one place, Gloucestershire, 
as I walked out one midsummer morning, is Lee's account of an epic walk around Spain in the 1930s. Lee starts by walking to London. That's a stroll of 111 miles. He takes a boat to Spain and walks through the country as civil war is brewing, doing various jobs along the way. It's a memoir of landscape and people. Just like Patrick Lee Fermer, Lee is shown incredible hospitality along the way. His plan is to walk around the coast of Spain, but this book is so much more as it shows Spain in complete turmoil. I'd also like to draw your attention to Alfred Wainwright, who was pretty much a professional fell walker and guidebook writer. In case you don't know, a fell is basically a big sprawling hill in the north of England. His seven-volume pictorial guide to the Lakeland Fells, published between 1955 and 1966, is the standard reference work for most of the English Lake District. He also wrote the first guide to the Coast to Coast Walk, a 192-mile east-to-west walk across the Lake District, Yorkshire Dales and the North Moors, devised by Wainwright, which is still popular today. A Scottish poet and university lecturer called Nan Shepherd wrote a non-fiction book called The Living Mountain during the 1940s. It's about her experiences walking in the Cairngorm Mountains. She chose not to publish the book until 1977, but it's been an essential read for anyone who loves Scottish landscapes. You can find a picture of Nan Shepherd on a Scottish £5 note. Poets, of course, love wandering. It's in their blood. Simon Armitage is a British poet who undertook a 19-day, 256-mile walk across England's Pennine Way. Each evening he'd give a poetry reading in exchange for a bed for the night. Airbnb should add poetry as a payment method. His book Walking Home, A Poet's Journey, describes his experiences in 2010. Robert McFarlane is today's premier walker writer. McFarlane's first book, Mountains of the Mind, was published in 2003 and looks at the impact of mountains on humanity. The Wild Places was published in 2007 and it describes the author's journeys on foot in search of the few remaining wilderness areas in Britain and Ireland. The Old Ways, A Journey on Foot was published in 2012 and it describes the years Macfarlane spent following pilgrimage paths, lanes, ancient tracks and historic rites of way across Britain, Spain, China and the Middle East. Wild by Cheryl Strayed has been very popular in recent years, both as an inspirational tale of life and as an account of a big walk along the Pacific Crest Trail from the Mojave Desert through California and Oregon to Washington State. Her walk came from personal struggles with family and marriage. It was an impulsive decision to walk herself to sanity. Another bestseller is Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods. He walks the Appalachian Trail, which stretches from Georgia to Maine and covers mountains, forests, lakes and true wilderness. It's very different to the memoir that launched his writing career, a road trip book, The Lost Continent. He's very much a middle-aged man struggling with the physical challenge of such a long walk. Several Walker writers have paid homage to a book called The Art of Wandering 
by Merlin Coverley, which examines the phenomenon of walkers who write from the early Greek and Roman writers to romantic poets like Wordsworth. Wonderlust, A History of Walking by Rebecca Solnit is another book on this subject, but she also profiles some of the great walkers in fiction. All I know is that there have been some amazing books written by people after they have taken long walks, and I can't see that ever changing. So that's all we have time for this week. Thanks for listening. My name is Richard Davis from Abe Books, and we'll see you next time.